What's up, citizens of Apologia? This is King Ginger, and I just wanted to take a moment to encourage you all to sign up for Apologia All Access. When you sign up for Apologia All Access, you're going to get exclusive on-demand content. This means that you and your entire family are going to get to watch every single TV show, every single after show, and every single Apologia Academy with new content dropping every single week. But most importantly, your contribution helps Apologia Studios create quality, Christ-centered entertainment that reaches millions of people on our YouTube channels and through our podcast with the gospel. So what are you waiting for? Change everything at ApologiaRadio.com Non-rock-a-botus must stop I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Brett, delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. (laughs) She hung up on me. What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when they're not. studio today with Luke the Bear. What's up, dude? Whoa. You got your mouth full of snacks right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joy the girl. Hello. Steady Randy to my left. Yes, sir. I'm Marcus here. Marcus Pittman on the ones and twos. And of course, uh, them Jeff Durbin. They call me the ninja. And uh, that's what everyone calls me, actually. So, um, quotation marks. That's right. Uh, we're back in the studio, guys. Uh, we are going to talk about some really, really interesting things today. Hopefully, this episode will be a blessing to you. I'll encourage you guys to share it with somebody you love and know. If it's a blessing to you, I want to point you guys to our YouTube channel, Apologia Studios on YouTube. Lots of new content has gone up in the last uh, two weeks. We have some clips from a Q&A session at, uh, in, in northern Oahu from the Is Mormonism Christian Conference. There are some questions from the audience that are there. We actually have uh, uh, quite a few more ready to go up. We're just uh, kind of releasing them one at a time. Just little bits of, of questions broken up into sections. If you guys haven't seen those yet, I encourage you guys to go check it out. And um, we also have some more stuff coming uh, we can't wait to release the information on that. And uh, we actually start filming next week, Lord willing, for a new weekly series uh, that we think will bless you. Uh, it's going to be done here in the studio. Uh, and uh, that's where we're going to film it, in the studio. That's where it's going to happen. And uh, Joy, exactly? in the studio. Oh, okay. Uh, that's where it'll, it'll happen. So I'm making sure we're clear on that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be funny and it'll be a weekly drop and um, it's just going to be sort of like a sitcom and it's star- it, it starring 
all of us. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, got, it's scripted, and it's going to have some parts of it that are not so scripted, and it's just going to be great. So there you go. Great, great, great. Great, great, great. great. All right. That's great. So uh, speaking of new content... Uh, before we have on our guest today and before we get into our subject and content today, just have a quick discussion about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You know, we do have, um, oddly, a bit of a unique perspective amongst 21st century Western evangelicals in terms of methodology. Uh, many of you guys know that when it comes to apologetic methodology, we are what you call covenantal or presuppositional, and the interesting thing about that discussion is, is it does not just um, uh, relate to the topic of apologetics. It really has to do with the lordship of Jesus Christ over every realm, the lordship of Jesus Christ over our thinking, the lordship of Jesus Christ over logic, the lordship of Jesus Christ over beauty, truth, and goodness. It's really about Jesus Christ being the lord over every single realm. We do believe that as the gospel goes forth, as the good news of salvation and what Christ has accomplished goes forth into the world, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So people are transformed, right? We believe that. We all believe in sanctification, right? People are sanctified. They are turned to Jesus Christ and dwell by the Spirit of God. New hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. We all agree with that, right? So we believe in the transformation of the individual. <laughs> we have to, right? I mean... Somebody says, hey, somebody can trust in Jesus Christ, be saved, but nothing ever happens. We say, that's a false gospel. That's not true. That's impossible. You can't go from death to life and nothing new be in place. And so we all believe in sanctification of the individual. But watch, if you think about the fact that Jesus calls us to go and disciple the nations, right? Teaching them to observe all they have commanded you, right? Now, when that nation comes to Jesus and they all have hearts, right? The vast majority of people like love Jesus Christ, love God's law. It looks like a different culture, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Like we would go from a culture of death to a culture of life. We would go from a culture that's hostile towards Christ to the actual culture of Christ. You see? And so what we actually believe is that the biblical worldview is full-orbed that it actually gets its fingers into every single area, whether that be the individual, whether that be the family, whether that be the church or the state, is that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And the biblical worldview actually infects everything. And so what we want to completely and utterly diss is cultural retreat and surrender. And so with that... There are all kinds of realms that the Christian church used to be the mover and shaker of. We used to be the ones that actually were the go-to guys and gals when it came to art, when it came to science, when it came to literature, when it came to technology. <laughs> uh, we, it was the Christian worldview that gave a rise to all these things. It popped them, right? You can thank the biblical worldview and Christians for your smartphone. Thank you very much. And there's actually a message on that by Mr. King Ginger up on our YouTube channel right sure. now. So That's with that, true. this is this is the lead-in. This is the lead-in to the discussion I like everyone to talk about right now. Um, there are realms right now that are completely and utterly and undeniably hostile towards Jesus Christ. And there are realms that ought not to be. So media, film, television, art. I mean, when the world abandons Jesus and God's word as a standard of all these things, 
it's not like they're going to stop being artistic. It's not like they're going to stop making media. It's not like they're going to stop because they abandoned Jesus. No, now they'll do it in a way that isn't so glorifying to God, that doesn't have God and his truth as the standard. And so when they make media, they actually glorify the evil. They glorify the bad stories. They glorify the bad art. They make things ugly that ought to be beautiful. And the, the interesting thing about this is that because we're image of God, we're all going to be drawn into story. We're all going to be drawn into art because we're image of God. But we, I believe, need to as believers actually start engaging this world again. Actually start making better art again. Better art than the unbelievers. Better art, better movies, better TV than the unbelievers. Now, can can one organization do that? No. One or two people? No, it has to be believers that actually start saying salt and light now. In this world, in my life, my family, my church, my government, my school, my 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 education system, and you know what? Film and TV and 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 can I say video games? No, you cannot. Apparently not. <laughs> you cannot. Uh, Have you read our YouTube comments lately? So you can't say video games. Let's talk about that. No. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. You can't talk about video games. <laughs> well, let's 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 do no. it. So we did. We just I want to point people to a resource real fast. Apologia TV. We did an episode with Colin Gunn, and we did an actual TV episode on video games and the Christian worldview. Now, of course, let's grant something at the outset. Please understand this. Of course, we are not giving a pass to games like Grand Theft Auto uh, that ultimately glorify violence and prostitution and sex and drugs. And the worldview is off. Now, is the game content amazing? I hear it is. Is the game content artistic and well done? I hear it is. But the game itself is screaming an unbeliever's worldview and perspective. And here's the thing. Where are the Christians making better stories, better games that glorify God and tell better and tell and tell a, a better worldview mm-hmm. and are more exciting and entertaining? Where are the Christians in that field? We we have a and I'm gonna let Marcus talk about this. We have a new series that we put up because we anticipate an Apologia Studios. Trying to trying to actually affect every possible realm we can with the biblical worldview. We want something to say. Christians have something to say about all these issues. We have we have the word of God, right? We have the worldview that makes sense of all this, and so we want to have something to say in the area of video games and film. And so we've put together our first. Um, I suggested it over a year ago. We finally were able to get it some legs, and now it's moving, and now it's it's happening now, and it'll get better as it goes. But we finally put together Post-Bit, which Marcus created that amazing name. The future of Gaming. The Future of Gaming, and it's Christian Worldview Review of Video Games. And Marcus, take it away. Well, I think, first off, we have to understand that video games are one of the most profitable forms of worldview media. Well, it is worldview media, right? So it's media that presents a worldview, a story, yep. a narrative, and whatnot. And video games are by far the most profitable form of worldview media right now. Uh, Grand Theft Auto got a uh, billion dollars in three days. Uh, wow. No movie's ever made that much money in three days. A movie has never made that. <laughs> not even Star Wars. Not, not even Star Wars has made a billion dollars in three days, right? So we talk about... The, the the terms of uh, in terms of like the video games impact on the culture video games are amazing 
in terms of how they influence the culture, and yet there's no real Christian influence presence. That doesn't mean there's not Christians working in the video game industry. Colin Gunn works in the video game industry, and on my Facebook status right now, there's a lot of discussions of other like major players in the video game industry that are actually really Christian. So that's really cool. It's really cool to see that, that they are there. But the problem is that the 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 Christ, Christianity is so hostile towards video games uh, that that there's been no real public influence. Like you can't look at video games and say Christians are dominating that field right now, and without Christians, there wouldn't be that. And so I think the first thing is to realize that video games inherently are good. They're not evil inherently, right? So like Jeff, you talk about how you get to use video games as a way to like interact with your children and right. spend time with your kids right. and like grow closer as a family. Yep. And so there's that and then there's uh you know, it has the same you know, video games also can have the same effect as wine. Like it can uh it, you, you, people can play video games as a way to like, you know, just take a break and relax and chill and and forget uh you know, some of their problems and stuff and that's a, that's a in a good way. That's a good thing. But you can also become addicted just like you can with alcohol sure. and video games or whatnot like or that. Or donuts. Or donuts, right. <laughs> exactly. Why is everybody looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> you, so, know, you know why, Luke. Well, I think that's why video games are so popular is because if you consider sort of, like you see this movement, like now more shows, mm-hmm. like series, TV series are being made because people want this expansion of the movie that they want to watch. Right, right. And then video games are an even further expansion of that because it's interactive and you're a part of the narrative that's going on you so get to create the story total sense yeah 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 you get to and that's and that's what i i think i love about the the the, the world of video games is that what, what we can do with them now is like what colin gunn said in our tv show do you guys remember what he said he said you get to go places in video games that maybe as a kid in a poor area you'd never be able to experience or see right and you could you could engage in stories in video games um, that maybe you'd never be able to experience right uh, in in uh, in your life because of your circumstances. Um, you you could you could have stories told that are rock solid, holy, good, and true stories um, that you get to enter into and interact with. You get to enter into different worlds. I mean, think about this: we like to read books to our children. Because they get to create the images in their head as they're going right. through the story. They get to, to, to feel like they're really there. There's the catharsis that happens, right, in, in, that, in that story. But video games is very much the same thing. And yes, you can become addicted. And yes, you can abuse. And we all understand that. But that's... I, I say all the more reason for Christians to be involved yeah. in it. Because it's such an immersive, all-consuming experience. Right. The, it, it's even more vital that Christians become influential in that industry. And so well, what, the reason we're talking about it is because Apologia Studios, just so you know what's coming, is that we have messages, sermons... We have interaction with atheists and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. We have public debates up. We have um, a documentary about our church plan in Kauai. We have uh, a new a new sitcom-ish kind of show what we're going to be doing. And we're going to have also uh, the engagement of the culture with video games and then movies and TV. We have the red screen media coming uh, we have post bits. We have all kinds of really great stuff happening. It's a, it's a, it's a television network. Yeah, because we right, we, right. we look, television look, networks don't have the same content. We we all want the time. we want Jesus to be glorified in 
every possible way. We don't want to retreat from culture and let the darkness take over and take over the minds of children and teenagers and adults. We want Jesus and his beauty Mm -hmm. to be magnified everywhere. And so we think, listen, Christians ought to have something to say there, right? Mm -hmm. It's not inherently evil. Is Pac-Man evil? I I mean, someone says video games are evil. Video games are of the devil. Of the devil. Uh, Is Pac-Man of the devil? Um... Space invaders of the devil. The Pac-Man devil. I mean, is Monopoly? It might be of the devil. Never mind. Let's talk. Mon- Monopoly actually might be of the devil. Yeah, I think it is. I, yeah, every time you play it, you lose family, and right. yeah. and um, you have to, you know, reconcile after. Right. Is 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 karaoke, video games? Is that of the devil? I mean, no. It's it's what stories are being told, right? What's the source? of the truth behind it. And we want as Christians to do it. So people actually commented, we posted these things up. There were comments underneath that were like, how dare ye, Christian channel. Yeah. Somebody said, um, "Somebody said, don't you understand we're living in the last days? We yeah. don't have time for games. Yeah. You call yourself a minister. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say, that's laughable. Are you telling me they obviously don't know what YouTube page they're commenting on, I know. first, first of all. First and foremost, let's have a discussion about that. And uh, <laughs> But second of all, are you telling me that because it's quote-unquote the last days, that God doesn't expect us to find delight in his world and creation, that we're not supposed to smile or have joy or play games with our kids or read stories and tell stories? Are we not supposed to do that as Christians? Of course not. That is an antithetical worldview than to the biblical worldview. Let me tell you, that's not the Christian worldview I hold on to. It's the last days and so now God wants us to live without joy and stories and beauty and truth and art are you telling me even though he is the creator yeah like he is the artist he's the artist right and we're and so we're gonna give up that part of image we're gonna give up that part of image because we're quote-unquote in the last days and somebody someone said on the channel like what this doesn't belong here on this channel oh yes it does (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and let me tell you why. Because I like what Marcus, I like what you said. We don't usually make any comments on these videos. Like there's thousands a day that come through. Literally thousands. Um, that come through in, on all of our YouTube uh, channel videos. Um, but you said something really important, Marcus. You said that worldview is apologetics, essentially. You talked about apologetics is about worldview. And these games are telling worldview. That's an apologetic situation. Yeah, you don't just defend your faith against Mormonism. You defend your faith against all ideologies that set us apart, set set itself against Christ. That's right. Yeah. That's right. All right, guys. We're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come right back. We're going to have some interesting things happen in this show today. We're going to play something that is going to bring tears to your eyes. I literally cried watching it and I didn't expect it because I was really skeptical when I first saw it and then when I researched it and I listened to it let me tell you it's one of the most inspiring and amazing things I have ever heard and I mean that Uh, and then we're going to have some more fun stuff we're doing and hopefully some stuff that will bless you we're going to talk about some theology that will be important stuff in the coming days be right back guys apologiaradio.com For 21 years and counting, New St. Andrews College has sought to obey Christ's great commission to disciple nations and build him a house, not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the world, not with stones and mortar, but with living stones. We build and fight. This is the task of a Christian liberal arts college. 
to equip students with the tools to build and fight. This is our joyful task as we seek to graduate leaders who shape culture through wise and victorious living. To learn more, visit us online at nsa.edu forward slash explore. Ladies and gentlemen, beauties and beasts, I have some good news for you. But in order for me to tell you the good news, I must share with you the bad. A beard can be a most magnificent thing, but it can also be the downfall of a man. An unmaintained beard prevents a face from shining. An unmaintained beard causes dry, itchy skin. An unmaintained beard is a source of beardruff. You know, like dandruff, but beardruff. An unmaintained beard is sharp and ruthless, like iron bristles, not good for the lady friend. An unmaintained beard forfeits future growth based on the lack of preparation today. And let's not forget that an unmaintained beard robs your face from smelling amazing. Let not thy beard be thy downfall. Protect your manlyhood. An epic combination of manliness and manhood. If you are hearing this today, there is hope for your beard. Go to yukosbeard.com and enter the code APOLOGIA and you can save some money while you save your face. as a Christian. So as you guys know, I've said many, many times, my friend, my hero of the faith, Dr. James White, um, has influenced me for so many years, um, corrected my thinking, encouraged me, blessed me as a minister. In many ways, Apologia Church exists because of uh, the the training and teaching I've gotten from Dr. James White. Uh, There's another man, Dr. Greg Bonson, uh, I call him my professor, even though he went to be with the Lord long before I was even a uh, Christian. Um, Dr. Greg Bonson has uh, dramatically impacted my thinking as a minister of the gospel, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, in so many different ways, particularly in apologetic methodology and in, in, in worldview, and um, in the area of the law of God, understanding the law of God. And then there's another man that I've told you guys has dramatically impacted my thinking And that is Dr. Kenneth Gentry. Um, I went to a... I wasn't raised in church, and so when I went to my first Bible study, it was a video of film, an old, awful, awful, terrible, bad, very bad Christian (laughs) film from the 70s, and it was on the rapture. And so not going to church and hearing... Uh, that for the first time, I thought that's just the way the world was. That's that's the future we're looking forward to. And so when I went to Bible college, I got 100% on everything. Eschatology was my thing. I loved it. I used to scare my wife to death. And I uh, used to go to Borders, Books and Music. Shout out to Borders. Uh, bye. I don't even know what that means. To get the Jerusalem Post <laughs> once a week so I could see what things were happening in the world. And I used to think that... Uh, Wishing myself into rapture was uh, a valid, valid thing. I used to wish myself into rapture like any moment. He's coming. Any moment. Tim LaHaye was my homeboy. Loved it. And so uh, when I finally started getting uh, to a place where I was going to allow the word of God speak and not put my tradition or preconceived notions into the text, I started seeing things that were not working with what I believed. And that's when God blessed me with Dr. Kenneth Gentry. So my entire world got turned upside down in eschatology and in many other areas. And Dr. Gentry completely blessed my life, my apologetic, my ability to defend the Christian message, 
because of the area of eschatology. Dr. Gentry is a man who has profoundly impacted my thinking as a Christian, and I cannot recommend him highly enough to you. If you do not know Dr. Gentry, you need to get to know him. KennethGentry.com is where you go to get his works. Uh, my favorites, He Shall Have Dominion by Kenneth Gentry. If you have not read that, you need to sell your shirt and shoes, possibly your car, and uh, any food to uh, get He Shall Have Dominion. And uh, Before Jerusalem Fell, Dating in the Book of Revelation, really good. The Beast of Revelation, really, really good. And his new book, newer book, it is As It Is Written, the Genesis account, literal or literary, dismantling the framework hypothesis by Kenneth Gentry Jr. THD, let me read to you what Dr. Jason Lyles said about this book. He says, quote, As It Is Written is a superb defense of six-day creation by one of the finest Bible scholars of our time. Dr. Gentry demonstrates that the text of Scripture is clear about the timescale of creation and that non-literalist views, such as the framework hypothesis, collapse under careful scrutiny. Very, very good. All right, so we are going to welcome for the second time on Apologia Radio, Dr. Kenneth Gentry. Thank you, brother, for joining us. It's great to be here with you. As I was listening to your introduction, you mentioned three names that have impacted you, and two of those names, James White and Greg Bonson, have impacted me as well. And so uh, the other third name was mine, but I suppose that the first two will count for two-thirds because two out of three of those are pretty good. But unfortunately, <laughs> that leaves us with a point six six six. so I'm concerned now. <laughs> oh, my God. I do appreciate your, your well kind words. Uh, it's in the afternoon out here. It's in the morning out there, I think. Yeah. Well so I uh, wish you a good morning and a good evening like... Um, Moses does in Genesis chapter one. There you go. All right. I love Dr. Gentry. His sense of humor is amazing. Uh, so, and, and just want to say briefly, Dr. Gentry, you have uh, officially retired from the, uh, being a pastor. Yes, that's right. At and, the end of March. Okay. And now you are dedicating yourself to the ministry of your writing and uh, obviously your teaching. So tell us about that. Okay. I retired after 37 years of pastoral ministry, which the Lord blessed me in. I was thankful to be a part of his kingdom service in that uh, function. And now I'm writing more or less full time. I'd always written on the side, but now I can concentrate on it full time. And I have just finished a two volume commentary on the book of Revelation, which I'm hoping to be published either at the end of 2016 or early in 2017. That, That has consumed my extra time for the last several years. But, but recently I've, I've released two books. One is the one you mentioned, As It Is Written, which is an expansion and update of my <coughs> earlier book, uh, Yea Hath God Said, which is a defense of the six-day creation view. So interestingly, though I'm known better for eschatology, I'm also interested in protology. I'm interested in how things end, but also how they begin. So I'm interested in the book of Genesis. And uh, so I, I took the opportunity to expand that earlier book and um, really release it through Master Books as, as it is written, and I'm getting good feedback on it. I'm very thankful for that. So that's telling you what I've been doing here recently. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all that you have done, uh, and I mean it, guys, when I say you need to get to know Dr. Gentry, and I, for one, am very, very excited uh, about the prospect of getting more um, written material from Dr. Gentry uh, right now. So praise God for the work 
that he had you do as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel in that respect. And we're looking forward to all that can come through this. And let me say, Dr. Gentry, you understand that I have been waiting for this two-volume commentary on Revelation mm-hmm. for like 10 years. This is a, This is a big, yeah, I know. <laughs> this is a big deal. Maybe you could send it my way. I can review it. I don't know. Maybe before, uh, you know, we could talk about something. Maybe, maybe, yeah, well, maybe you take well, uh, cash payments. When it gets closer to time, they haven't even got it typeset yet. But when they, it gets closer to the time, they've got it typeset. You know, contact me, you know, toward the end of the year and I'll, I'll see what can be done. Yeah. Oh, see that? There you go. That's the benefit of having Just your own show. Day. And you don't even understand. <laughs> I'm going to put everything else on hold to read, read that work. All right, Dr. Gentry, I'm going to play for you a clip real fast to get into the discussion in your book, okay? To show All you right. how important this, uh, this subject is um, in terms of our current culture, our context, as Christians, this question about Genesis as a, a you know the framework uh, hypothesis, literal or literary, let's let me play you just this from William Lane Craig on his reasonablefaith.org podcast, just in terms of how Christians are viewed today to have a more literal reading of Genesis. I'm going to just play it for you just to get by way of a segue to getting us in, into the discussion about your book. Here we go. Ready? And this is Young Earth Creationism is an Embarrassment, Dr. Craig. uh, He says, 45% of Americans believe that the Earth is less than 10,000 years old. That is almost half. And so this big percentage of Americans, I don't know how many of them would be Christians, probably a a large amount, because some of these Americans may not even be Christians, but they just have this Mm -hmm. biblical understanding that they've heard. The conflict is... It's very incompatible, Colin says, with what scientists have learned from physics, chemistry, cosmology, biology, geology. And so there is kind of a tension here between this large portion of the of the populace and the science and even a a Christian view of how science could possibly be. Yes, I've seen a comparable statistic that says that over 50 percent of evangelical pastors think that the world is less than 10,000 years old. Now, when you think about that, Kevin, that is just hugely embarrassing that over half of our ministers really believe that the universe is only around 10,000 years old. This is just scientifically, it's nonsense. And yet this is the view that the majority of our pastors hold. It's its really quite shocking when you think about it. The- so there's a good example of this discussion, uh, this current discussion. And there is a respected uh, apologist and philosopher, uh, Dr. William Lane Craig, talking about this subject. And so, Dr. Gentry, when you hear uh, Dr. Craig uh, speaking like that about this discussion, what, what comes to mind? What would you like to say to start this discussion? Well- I appreciate a lot of what he does. In fact, probably most of what he does. I disagree with him very much on that point. And I, I think the problem is that we have to realize that science cannot get back to creation to do tests. It is something that's in our past, and it's something that is beyond the purview. Uh, of creation is something in our past, and it's beyond the purview and the capacity of the scientific method. So to me, it's embarrassing that more embarrassing that Christians, many of them, uh, deny the scriptures in holding to evolutionary mythology. You know, someone once said, and I thought it was a clever way to put it, that if God thought creation was so important, why didn't he 
why did he not put it closer to the front of the Bible? (laughs) (laughs) The Bible opens with this, and that is the foundation for all the rest of Scripture. It's the foundation for all the rest of history. It's the foundation for all the rest of redemptive history. And I believe as Christians, we need to recognize that the Bible stresses this doctrine, not only in its beginning, but in many places throughout. God is frequently called the creator or the maker of the ends of the earth, etc. So the Bible stresses it. And furthermore, as Christians, we've got to recognize it shows the goodness of God in creation um, and then explains the reason for the turmoil in the world. Mm. What Dr. Craig and others are left with is a creative process by an all-wise, all-good God that uses the extinction of species over long years of time, suffering, death, destruction, chaos, and that's God's uh, creative method. And to me, that's an embarrassment uh, of a greater right. uh, note than the one he has mentioned. Good point. Mm. That's right. That's exactly right. All right, so Dr. Gentry, there's uh, the discussion needs to be had here, I think, at the beginning and let's talk about foundations, presuppositions, because that, that has a lot to do with how we go about looking at this subject. So, and you've, you've already kind of, you know, touched it just a, a little bit here, but let's talk about the presuppositions behind this discussion. You've got a popular view today, the framework hypothesis. You've got a more literal um, reading that you're referring to. What, what role do presuppositions play here in this discussion as we engage it with other Christians or unbelievers today? What role do presuppositions play? Well, they're definitely foundational. As you know from having studied Bonson uh, through his tapes and written works, presuppositionals are foundational. I mean, everybody operates in terms of presuppositions. We can't get involved in some sort of argument and engage in infinite regress. It has to stop somewhere. Mm -hmm. And in the presuppositional analysis, we stop at God saying, we can give an account of all of reality, the laws of logic, the laws of math, the laws of science, the laws of morality. We can give an account of that on the basis of our presupposition. Now, what are you going to do on the basis of your presupposition, which in the evolutionary worldview is an exploding universe, exploding out of nothing into something? We can account for reality, they can't. And the Christian needs to be aware of the presupposition that's found in the Bible, revealing God's will for us, so that they can build their lives on it. And again, unless a Christian's embarrassed by the Bible, I don't think they should be embarrassed by the Bible's revelation of the creation process. And that's the important element I think I want to touch right there, is what we often find today is Christians in the common marketplace of ideas will be impacted by maybe their upbringing in public school or a secular um, uh, graduate study program or something like that. And so what they hear is the unbeliever's perspective on the world. They hear the unbeliever's view of origins and their unbeliever's anthropology. And so what they do is because they've been trained in the unbeliever's worldview, discipled as, uh, as, as students of the world, uh, they have that view ingrained within them for a long period of time. And so now they go running to the Bible and they go, well, how do I make my faith and commitments to Jesus and to God's word work with what I've been told um, about origins and us by my unbelieving professors? And so that, that's, is, Dr. Gentry, am I getting that right here? That the collision often comes because we are importing 
really an unbelieving perspective on the world into the text of Scripture. Would you say that that is, am I getting that right? Yes, I think you're right on target with that. And the problem is today that secularism, naturalism, evolutionism controls government, education, the media, entertainment, Mm. every area of life in our, our collapsing culture all around us. And the Christian needs to think this thing through. If they want to affirm uh, evolution at the same time they affirm the Bible, they're going to have to answer the question, why would God use billions of years of destructive evolution with its chaos and upheaval, the arising of sentient life forms, genetic mutations, constant pain, suffering, death, and individual members dying over millions of generations and the extinction of whole species to, to declare that God did this? But this is the way God works in the world. Now, the book of Genesis, and the opening chapters particularly, are telling us that the world was created by a good God, and all was very good. And then in Genesis chapter 3, it tells us what happened. And while we do see all these things happening, the death of sentient life forms and genetic mutations and all of that. And so the Bible can account for the reality we experience now in a world of chaos and death and destruction by pointing to the fact God created it originally very good, but that man sinned and caused the fall, and now the world is under God's curse. But to, to pick up on the curse and say, this is what God did from the very beginning, that simply is not uh, what the Christians should do. In fact, if we hold to Christ as our Redeemer, we should recognize that he himself said in Matthew chapter 19 that from the beginning God made uh, male and female, not Billions or billions of mm. years later uh, did he do that. Because mm. it says in Matthew nineteen four, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? From the very beginning, God made man male and female. That's right. Not four billion, not 17 billion years later, but from the beginning. And so it's not only the Old Testament text written by Moses, but also the New Testament text uh, recording the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the, the battle lines are drawn, and this, the battle is a significant one. It is. We lose so much when we lose uh, this proper understanding of the beginning. So, Dr. Gentry, can you, t- in the book, uh, which I encourage everyone to pick up because it's an important subject, we probably get more questions about this sent to us um, really than any other if you put all of our questions that come to Apologia Radio, can you guys do a show on this? Can you guys mm-hmm. talk about this? It probably, it, it most consistent, maybe if it's not a question on Mormonism, it's a question right here about this. Creation, literal, um, uh, literary, uh, billions of years, uh, younger earth. So in your book, you talk about the traditional interpretation of Genesis 1. That's the more uh, literal account. And you have in chapter 3, the establishment of genre Type. Can you explain that? Because that's a, that's a good way to tackle this to begin with. Right. We recognize as Christians that the Bible can speak symbolically on issues and poetically. Uh, the mountain skipping and uh, God being uh, like a mother hen over us and things of that sort are obviously using symbolism. But what we have to determine, therefore, is does Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where we find creation recorded for us, does that speak poetically and symbolically? But the fact is that the very structure of Genesis chap- chapter 1 and, and dealing with the issues occurring, he's speaking in terms of a historical process, and he's not speaking in terms of some kind of symbolic thing. 
uh, we have what's called in Hebrew the wow consecutive. That is, he says one thing, then another, then another, is, is the way it occurs in Genesis chapter 1. 55 times in the 34 verses of Genesis chapter 1, we have this wow consecutive that functions in the sense of he did this, then he did that. He did this, then he did that. And so the book of Genesis reads as historical narrative. It does not read as a poetic description of any sort. Besides yeah. that, yeah. the book of Genesis is, uh, sometimes Christians don't even realize this, but I think it's very significant that they get a handle on this. The book of Genesis is, I'll have to get the whole thing before you, before you realize why it's kind of shocking to some. The book of Genesis is volume one of a five-volume set from Moses, the Pentateuch. Right. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Each one of those books, well, the first book ends in a way that anticipates Exodus beginning. And Exodus refers back to Genesis, uh, the last chapter. Then Exodus ends expecting Leviticus. And then Leviticus begins uh, building on Exodus. They They are clearly sequentially written, and they're clearly referring to a, a uh, one story. And the story is this, and this is where we sometimes overlook it. The story of the Pentateuch is the arising of Israel in history as God's uh, redemptive people. The, in Genesis, you have from chapter 12, where Abraham appears, you have the whole focus now shifting from the broader world, from Genesis 1 through 11, from the broader world to the world of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Israel. And so all the rest of the Pentateuch, beginning in Genesis 12 and following, all the rest of the Pentateuch is dealing with Genesis. Now, why did I say that? Because the point is that if we read Genesis as a part of an ongoing narrative, we're going to read the origin of this historical people. And the origin of this historical people, Israel, is not in myth, it's in history. Yeah. And if, if Israel does not have a historical foundation, we can't account for where she came from. But Israel's historical foundation is given to us in the Pentateuch of Moses, which begins explaining where Israel came from and why Israel is so important by giving the creation in Genesis 1 and 2 and the fall in Genesis chapter 3. So the genre of, of the creation account is very important if we believe there is a literal historical people of Israel. Dr. Gentry, a lot of the um, creation myths, people will point out and say, well, this is just another creation myth. And you brought out very clearly that this is a, uh, a history that unfolds. There's no break between what happens at the beginning and, as you point out, the end of the Pentateuch. So uh, don't you find that uh, this is, this is a, a stellar example or a stellar witness in the text? Because other creation myths, there's always a break. There's a creation myth that comes up with some kind of explanation, and then for whatever civilization that creation myth belongs to, there's a break before history picks up again. Right. And in Genesis, when we read Genesis and compare it to the creation myths of the uh, ancient Near East, we're going to find that Genesis reads as something very mundane and something that's very understandable. There are no several gods fighting and tearing each other apart, forming the heavens by the upper part of one god and the lower part of that same god. Right. There are none of this bizarre stories 
that it is simply it reads like mundane history. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. You know, it, it just reads as if it's giving us history. In fact, Genesis chapter 1 is written in opposition to the cosmological myths as well. This is important. And this is something I should have brought up a moment ago. Yeah. I'll bring yeah. it in this context. Since the Pentateuch is telling where Israel's coming from, we have to recognize that at the end of the Pentateuch, Moses dies and he tells Israel, you're about to enter the promised land, go and serve God, don't follow the false gods, etc. So Genesis, I mean, the whole Pentateuch is getting Israel ready and braced to enter the promised land. So it's important that she not only understand where she came from, beginning in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, with God's good creation, then fall, and then redemption beginning, and her being a major part of that. She needs not only to know where she came from in history, she needs to recognize that the God of Scripture, the God of Abraham, as Isaac, and Jacob, is not like the false gods in the, in the land of Canaan. And Genesis is written in a, in a way with, uh, against the false gods. For instance, uh, the, uh, the ancient Near Eastern myth in Canaan talks about Tiamat, the god of the deep, and the, the fearsomeness of the goddess of the deep. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says, The earth was formless and void. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters and the surface of the deep. In other words, it's under control. This deep is under control. It's not something to fear. And, uh, and uh, when the animals uh, are animals and man, and uh, even the, uh, the vegetation are reproducing after their kind, that's a direct frontal assault upon the bizarre gods of the ancient Near East, which were oftentimes mixtures of God and, and man or animals and and man and right. whatever. Right, right, right. And so, so God is saying, no, this, Moses is saying, this can't even happen. Their gods are impossible. Because the way that God created the world is things create after their kind. And then when you get to Genesis uh, day four, then you have God not even mentioning the sun and moon by their name. He calls them the greater light and the lesser light because in Deuteronomy, he's going to warn the Jews, not to bow down and worship the sun, moon, and stars, and the the words for sun and moon had been taken over by the pagans, and they have been elevated to a god status. So interestingly, when God talks about the creation of the sun, moon, and stars, which were worshipped by the uh, Canaanites, he says he doesn't even get, dignify them with the name sun and moon. He says, oh, the greater light, the lesser light. <laughs> oh, yeah, he created the stars also. Yeah. And astrology and the false conceptions of the... Of the um, ancient Near Easterners was to bow down before the God, the gods, which are the stars. And Moses says, no, he created them also. Now let's move on to some important stuff. Yeah. And so it's it, it just it's like he's slapping around the false gods out there. And if we could recognize that, we would see that he is standing against these false conceptions of the ancient cosmologies. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Um, okay, so just speak for a moment if you could. I'm going to get to the, the framework hypothesis discussion in a minute here, but um, I think it's a good, a good way to move just right through your book here. You, you have a section, Chapter 4, about the survey of the exegetical arguments. Obviously, you can't go through all of them on this show today, but can you give us just a smattering of a discussion on that survey of the exegetical arguments for this literal account of Genesis? Right. Uh, the importance of that chapter, of course, is if we believe the Bible is the Word of God and that Genesis is a part of the Bible, then it, therefore, is a part of the Word of God, we must 
therefore approach it reverently, and we must approach it soundly and exegetically. Yeah. And when we read Genesis 1, here's what leaps out of, at us. In fact, you give Genesis 1 to anybody and say, what do you think this is teaching? I don't. I can't imagine anybody thinking, well, it's teaching millions and billions of years of a creation process. That's right. They're That's going right. to read mm. that majestic march of days and walk away thinking, well, these people believe that God created the heavens and the earth in the six days rested on the seventh. And so what my point is, the um, burden of proof is on anybody who would deny a six-day creation. It is not on the Bible-believing Christian. The burden of proof is on uh, Dr. Mm. Lane Craig. It's on the Dr. Klein and the, and the framework advocates. But some of those arguments, finally getting to your question, yeah. some of those arguments are uh, the argument from primary meaning. The word day can sometimes mean an age, but the fundamental meaning of the word is a common day, and it's used over 2,000 times in the Old mm. Testament, simply speaking of a common day. Furthermore, it is explicitly qualified by the phrase evening and morning. Without fail, every one of the six days of creation ends with an evening and morning statement. So it's got an explicit qualification of what kind of day we're dealing with. That's right. Furthermore, You've got the argument from numerical prefix. In Scripture, when a day is attached with a number, it always speaks of a literal day, yep. such as being circumcised on the eighth day. It's not the eighth eon of that child. It's the eighth <laughs> day of that child's existence. And um, and, and then in, uh, when we realize that day four begins clearly saying that the sun, moon, and stars are to govern the day and the night. There's no way around it. We know that for us, the, uh, the day and night are governed by the rising of the sun and the coming of the sun, moon, uh, moon and stars at night, etc. We know what that means. And so on day four, there's no getting around it. You might try to waffle on days one, two, and three, but day four says, no, this fourth day is governed by the, by the sun, moon, and stars. And so it, it's just, there's so many exegetical arguments from Genesis chapter one that I don't believe a reasonable per, a person who is dedicated to the God of Scripture and is committed to the Genesis as the word of the living God can come away with another understanding. There's something else pushing that person. And I think Dr. Craig uh, hit it. Uh, I was going to say he hit the nail with his head, but I better not say that. <laughs> I think he hit it when he, as an academic, is embarrassed by the Bible. There you go. And I, I wonder if he is embarrassed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I, I know he's not, because he's an evangelical scholar. But why would he be embarrassed by the one and not by the other? Because both of those directly conflict with the naturalism of our day. There you go. That is a fantastic point. Uh, and, that, and you would be vilified today in the secular education system if you have this view and this account. And, and the danger is, of course... In history, there have been many, there can be many examples of the world uh, and its scientists saying, well, this is the nature of the universe and this is our place in it. And this is the way the world is. And, um, you know, the Bible is contradicting that view. And it's, there are examples in history of Christians, professing believers, going along with the model of the day simply because it is the accepted view of the day amongst, quote-unquote, scientists. 
<laughs> and what's embarrassing, what I think is more embarrassing, Dr. Gentry, is as science catches up with the Bible, the Christians in history who have compromised the biblical text to go along with what unbelieving naturalistic uh, philosophers and scientists have said about our origins, that that's more embarrassing. They are going to be embarrassed in their graves when science catches up with what God's revelation actually says. And I think you're right, uh, Dr. Gentry, the word of God has to be our standard. We have to be before it with a reverent awe and submission. We have to say, look, God is telling us the way of the world. God is telling us the way things are. And we have to just come to grips with the fact that Jesus calls us to submit to his authoritative word and not to build our houses on the sand. Uh, okay, so here's a good chapter. Uh, I'm sure we could spend several shows on this. But um, let me mention something before sure. we move on. Sure. There's a little story told, and I think this serves as something of a parable. It's a little joke, but it's a parable. There's this girl drawing a picture in school. The teacher comes up and said, what are you drawing? She said, I'm drawing a picture of Jonah getting swallowed by the well. The teacher says, well, that couldn't have really happened. He would have died. The little girl says, no, I know it happened. And the teacher says, no, honey, it couldn't have happened. Jonah would have died. That's not true. And the little girl says... When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah if he got swallowed by the well. The teacher says, what are you going to do if Jonah didn't go to heaven? The little girl said, well, then you ask him. (laughs) (laughs) The point being, the little girl had her faith in the scriptures, and that's where the Christian needs to have their faith. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's great. All right. So the next chapter you have uh, is the response to literalism problems. Then I'm going to get to the framework hypothesis here in a second but I, I, I give me give me just an example if you would give us an example of uh, some kind of objection or objections that somebody might have to a literalism uh, a, a literalist view of the text at this point what what would they say this is a problem with your position okay one of the things the framework advocates point out and it's, to them it seems to be a serious problem and that is that when you look at days one, two, and three, they parallel days four, five, and six, because we can we can see something of a structure there where there's a parallel between, uh, let's say, day three, the creation of land, and day six, the creation of land animals and man, and they say that that parallelism shows us that he's not interested in chronology, but he's interested in aesthetics. He's showing us that God has created all things, and he's presenting it to us in a way that's picturesque, not a way that is literal. And they, they drive home the point by saying, if God created light on day one, and he, cre- he separated the day from the dark on day, uh, the light from the dark on day one, why did he do the same thing on day four, where we have, again, the creation of the sun, moon, and stars, and the separation of the light and dark? They'll say, this shows us that he's not interested in chronology, and so therefore there is a problem. And then another one they'll point out is the seventh day. They, they say, you'll notice it does not have an evening and a morning, and that shows that the seventh day is an open-ended day. And if the seventh day can be an open-ended day, why can't the other days be open-ended? And therefore, we have the opportunity for evolutionary uh, progress over hmm. long periods of time. Hmm. Those are two of the leading problems that they point out. Right, and, and so give us a, 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 a response to some of those okay. leading problems. Okay. When we look at day one, we've got to notice that day one does not say that um, the 
separation of warm, uh, light and dark are, are uh, excuse me, I'm trying, trying to get my text up here so I can know what I'm talking about. No problem. I'm trying to talk at the same time. <laughs> In day one, it says, God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light uh, day, and the darkness he called night. Notice that he says, God saw the light was good, then he separated light and darkness. That means on day mm. four, when he has the sun, moon, and stars, he's, he's saying it is good now that the sun, moon, and stars are separating the light and darkness so that God doesn't have to continually, through miraculous act, separate day and night. He's set in motion a natural phenomenon, the rising of the sun, etc., to, to control that. So, day one does not tell us the separating of light from darkness was good. It tells us only that the light was good. But day four comes back and tells us, now that God has got in this providential mechanism, the sun, to separate the light and darkness, now it's good. I am now finished with dealing with light. And similarly, when we look at day uh, three, we find, uh, excuse me, day two, we find on day two that he separates the waters above and the waters below, but there's no statement, it was good. And you would expect it. It's in all the other days, but not on that one. Well, the reason is because God is not yet through with the separating of the waters. He separates the waters above and below on day two, but on day three, he brings the land out of the waters and separates the earth and the water. So now he's through with the separating of the waters. And so now he can declare it's very good. And similarly, uh, therefore, we can go back to day one and say, well, God said the light was good, but he didn't say anything about the separating of the light from the darkness because he's not through with the light yet. On day four, he's going to declare the method of separation complete and good because that's the way it will be throughout universal history. And so that's that's the response to the day four problem. I don't believe there is a problem there at all. No. It's in the minds hmm. of those who think such, not in the, in the text itself. Well, and then I would point out that on the day seven, the fact is day seven does not end with an evening and morning statement, which could very well show us that it might be an ongoing day. I don't think it is. I think the reason for the evening and morning statements in the preceding days, and they're not that not occurring on day seven is because each of the preceding days expects another day to follow, another creation day to follow. There was evening and morning, God completed day one. So therefore the morning is leading to day two of creation. Right. Then day two ends with an evening and morning and expecting day three. Well, when day seven ends, there, there's no more creation process of the original creative method of God to be expected, and therefore he doesn't use the evening and morning marker anymore. And so... Day seven is not a problem for the six-day creationist viewpoint because the text doesn't say that day seven is ongoing. It's a supposition in the mind of the reader, and it's a supposition that is not demanded by the text itself. That's right. That's a mic drop. All right. Hmm. So, well, and, well, and if day seven, it like, so if day was meant to be read as era or age, what would be the problem with day seven, God resting and setting his mm. blessing upon creation. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, a good question. Does that yeah, mean yeah, that okay. his blessing if is still set as the sin didn't seven happen? If an ongoing age, hmm. then we've got God blessing the seventh day, and therefore his blessing is continuing through history as if uh, the fall had not occurred. And so we have to recognize hmm. 
that day seven must come to an end with God's blessing because the days following or later that follow it after the fall, that would have God sanctifying and blessing the fall and all of fallen creation, whereas that's not the point of his statement there in Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. And so if we have an ongoing day seven, we have an ongoing blessing of God, which uh, would intend us to believe or have us believe that there was no fall to cause a curse to come. Right. Very good. Good hmm. question, Joy. Uh, all right. So l- there is a popular uh, view that you respond directly to in, as it is written, the Genesis account, literal or literary uh, it's right on the front page, or on the cover, dismantling the, quote, framework hypothesis. What in the world is the framework hypothesis? Well, the framework hypothesis gets its name from the fact that they see Moses writing Genesis chapter 1 in terms of two triads, two sets of three, that he is structuring the Genesis chapter 1 revelation as something that is, is aesthetic and artistic is not to be understood literalistically. Let me explain. Okay. Day one has the creation of light. The parallel day, day four, has the creation of the sun that gives light. Day two has the creation of the water in the sky as it separates the waters above and below. And day five has the creation of the sea creatures and birds. So there's a parallel there. Day three has the creation of land. And day six has the creation of land animals and man. And they say that's all he's trying to do is to show that God's created all things. And he gives us this in a poetic expression, organized according to, not according to sequence and chronology, but according to function. And so they would say, therefore, you don't need to have any of this idea of a a, a sequential progress. And so the framework hypothesis says that God is simply giving us a theology of the Sabbath, it is declaring God has created the universe, and then he structures the revelation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 according to a seven-day pattern to show that there needs to be a day of rest, there needs to be a, a worship of God for his creation process. So the framework says the seven-day week is not to be understood in a literal fashion, but a literary function, because it's simply showing us God's created all, and there's a day of rest that we need to praise him for his creation. Hmm. Whereas yeah. when you read Genesis 1, with those uh, wild consecutives and the reading as if it's writing historically, you see first day, second day, third day, the relentless march of days cannot simply be tossed out. It is very clear that he's dealing with a uh, chronological structure. Right, it seems like... It's more likely that God just created artistically rather than Moses representing the creation account mm-hmm. artistically. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Right. Right. If both, Moses wrote it in such a way that we can't get around the fact of the six days of creation process. So if all he's trying to get across is some kind of poetic thing, statement that God created all things, why didn't he just do it in one or two sentences saying, well, just Genesis chapter 1 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then move on. But no, he belabors this first day, second day, third day, fourth day. He belabors that, which demands that we recognize he did it for a reason, and it's significant. It structures the whole passage. By the way, the framework idea was never seen until the late 1700s 
by a liberal theologian named von Herder. Nobody had ever seen it in the history of Judaism or in the history of Christianity until this guy stumbled on it. And are we to think that after all those years, the church has finally come to an understanding of where this world came from and how it came to be. And it was found by a liberal scholar who was picked up 1,700 years after Jesus. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> it speaks for itself. All right, Dr. Gentry, um, I know our time is short here, so let me just ask you, I guess, maybe two more questions. The first is, if you could deliver a one-two punch to the framework framework hypothesis, you, you, you have just a moment with somebody, you got five minutes with a guy who walks up to you and he says, hey, I believe in this. Uh, what would you say to him? You got a, you got a moment to just deliver a one-two punch to him. What would you say? He needs to know. First thing I would say is read Genesis 1 and try to see if evolution can be fitted into that first, mm-hmm. second, third, fourth day. It is very clear. And then secondly, I would go back to where I started. I would say, do you sincerely believe <coughs> that the good God of heaven and earth created this world through a process that involves untold death, destruction, and despair? Do you really believe that that is the method God used? And uh, I, I just don't see how you can sit down with Genesis 1 and come up with evolution and then sit down with evolution and say, you know, that sounds reasonable. I believe God did have all this extinction, all this death, all this despair. That's the way God creates. That sounds to me perfectly reasonable. No, it does not. Yeah, and, and, the, and God calling that good? Yeah, very right. good. Yeah, very good. And so, yeah, it's a, it's really an important thing. All right, so this would be the second question. This is, uh, I think, really the, the the single most important one is when we give up, Dr. Gentry, a literal reading of the Genesis account, historical narrative that's presented to us by Moses through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when we give up um, that literal account, what do we end up destroy, destroying in terms of the story of redemption? How does, it, how does a non-literal account that allows for this evolutionary process, as you said, the untold death and destruction and misery, how does that disrupt the, the, the history of redemption, the story of redemption? Well, it disrupts it by showing or declaring that God never did create a good, very good universe that fell from a Mm -hmm. higher estate to its current condition. We've given up the rationale for why there's sin in the world, why there's death and destruction, and we've given it up not because of the biblical evidence, but because of a scientific theory. It's not even a law. It hasn't even advanced to the point of law. We've given up a scientific theory, uh, given it up for a scientific theory. And so... Once you have messed up the foundation of Scripture, I don't see how you, the rest of Scripture is going to flow as something reasonable to God's people. That's right. Because the, if the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? Mm-hmm. That's right. The story is undermined. Uh, well, Dr. Gentry, so the last point here is what I have told people over the years when they've asked me about this question, um, what I've told them is my great concern for you if you hold to this position, if you hold to a non-literal view, if you give up an historic Adam, my great concern is it disrupts the Apostle Paul's systematic explanation of the gospel in Romans. He has Adam, our first parent, representative, our head, 
in the fall. He has him in the text, and all who are in Adam die. And then he has another representative, Jesus, the second Adam, the perfect one, our representative, in whom we have the gift of eternal life and righteousness through him. All are made alive in him. Can you address that for a moment? Because I think that's significant. I think giving up an historic Adam um, disrupts the really the, the entire substance of our being found in Christ. Well, you're exactly right. And Paul believes the creation narrative that Adam was created, that Adam was created good, that Adam fell, and that gives an account for where sin came from. And then Jesus comes into the world to live according to the law that Adam failed to live according to, and he succeeded, and God grants redemption through him. You're right. Redemption falls away. So I guess that should be, I look at it in terms of the Scripture itself, the integrity of Scripture itself is going to collapse because the foundation's been destroyed. And you've looked at it in terms of the message of Scripture, which is redemption, which is the whole story of Scripture, God's redemptive history and the redemptive result. So both of those, I think, are twin truths that are forfeited if we do not accept the creation narrative, that the foundation's been destroyed and that redemption has been destroyed. So I think, I think that's a good way to put it. Fantastic. Wow, wow, wow. And uh, literally in the text, wow. Uh, the wow consecutive each day was wow 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 Uh, all right you give me a new joke and i'm going to blame it on you oh very good sir okay uh so uh, as it is written the genesis account literal or literary dr gentry do you want them to go to your website to get it or somewhere else well, I'd rather them do that than drive by my house and pick it up. Okay. Yeah, they can get it at my site, uh, kennethgentry.com, mm-hmm. or they can get it Amazon or other places. So okay. So, published by Master Books. Yes, and if you guys go to kennethgentry.com, I've been going for over a decade now, you can get uh, more than books. You can get the books that he's written. You can get all kinds of uh, small little booklets that explain things uh, quickly uh, and effectively, and you can also get, you can really benefit from his years of teaching. Uh, mm-hmm. There are some great uh, audio sets that will just bless your life, and not just audio, but DVD. Uh, can, I, can I recommend the book, God Gave One? Yes. It's one of my favorite books that yes. was written. Well, yeah, but in doing that, you've reminded me of another joke. Got a minute? Yes. Yeah. This man and woman sitting on the back uh, deck of their house drinking wine, and the wife suddenly says, I don't know how I could ever live without you. You mean everything to me. And the husband says, is that you talking or the wine? She says, that's me talking to the wine. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, Marcus, that's right. God gave wine. If you want an exegetical case uh, for a truly biblical understanding of, uh, of alcohol and wine, uh, that you can't do better than uh, God Gave Wine by Dr. Gentry. And if I can make a recommendation, uh, if you want to get into the subject of eschatology, if you really want to understand and just be right. blessed and really encouraged and get into stuff that will cause you to love Jesus more deeply, uh, pick up Dr. Gentry's stuff on Revelation. It'll bless your life. Dr. Gentry, we love you, brother, and you are a gift to all of us. So thank you so much for the time you spent with us today. Well, thank you for what you're doing there at Apology Radio. I very much appreciate it. I get a lot of comments about people uh, saying they heard this, that, or the other on your program, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm really thankful for how the Lord's using you. Well, I thank you, Praise brother, God. for all you've done in my life. So God bless you, brother. I hope to have you on again sometime soon, especially when your commentary comes yes, out in Revelation. Sir. 
Okay, yeah, I look forward to it. All right, God bless you, brother. You too. Goodbye. Goodbye. All right. Hey, y'all, I told you. I said it. Dr. Gentry, he's a blessing. Oh, yeah. And I, 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 this, the book, as it is written, is not too big, guys, so it's not intimidating. Uh, what is there? I think there's only, look here, a little, it's uh, no it's, Herman Bovink, that's no, for sure. No, it's no Bovink. It's about, <laughs> it's about, it's a two, it's 218 pages, so it's a small book. It, Dr. Gentry has this, uh, way about him when he writes where, I'll give you an example. The book Before Jerusalem Fell, mm-hmm. I believe, was his doctoral thesis at Whitfield. And so it is this scholarly, yeah. intensely scholarly book about the history and the dating of the book of Revelation. You would think that would bore you to tears, but I'll tell you the truth. I got the book over a decade ago, and I remember, I distinctly remember being in my kitchen with my feet up on the on the kitchen sink in a chair with the lights on in the kitchen so I didn't wake anybody up, uh, reading this deeply scholarly book and this work with historical stuff at like 2 and 3 in the morning. I could not put the stinking book down. Uh, how do you do that? So he writes really well, but he writes in such a way that when he explains something, he then also, and this is like this is like the, the this is like Gentry's style. Then he will explain the best arguments from the opposition point by point. Mm. He gives their best representation, yeah. and that's what I appreciated so much about him is that when I was studying stuff on eschatology, I could get the best of the other side. He's really respectful of the other side in that in that sense. And so you get the best arguments from the other side, and then he responds to them point by point by point. So Dr. Gentry is just a treasure of uh, information and help, and so I just I can't encourage him highly enough. So yeah, so I said it was uh, Dr. White, Dr. Bonson, Dr. Gentry. I, I did I need to mention uh, also uh, uh, Uncle Gary, Uncle Gary, Gary Demar. Gary Demar put legs on all of this for me. And just inspired me just by how intensely mm-hmm. biblical these positions are. And so th- those men just really impacted me. So when I have someone like Dr. Gentry on, this is like, you know, it's a big day for me. Because this is a guy that really, really, ca- honestly, the thing is, it's not so much that I changed to a new position. It did cause me to love Jesus more. Really. It made Jesus look much more mm-hmm. beautiful to me. Um, so I... Go to KenandGentry.com. Guys, anything else you want to say before we go to break? I'm glad you didn't tell us not to make jokes today since he's so important to you. Yeah. Oh, did I not say that? Did, no, he, you like, didn't. Usually so you I do. appreciate Oh, did I do that before? You usually yeah. make us yeah. like, be at don't, our best don't behavior. Don't play. Don't play. <laughs> Dr. Gentry. No joking around. I think it's just great that he explained that this was meant to be, uh, this, this beginning opening section of Genesis was meant to be an inheritance for Israel as they were going forth. Yeah. So by implication, when we adopt it, it becomes our heritage too. That's right. That's a good point. Well, and also he has um, some of the things he's written. He has a really interesting texts on um, uh, six day creation and the confessions. I oh. mean, obviously Westminster. Yeah. And you know, good stuff. Um, so it's really, really interesting because if you, I mean. Like if you follow a confession of faith, then I, I mean it's probably something that's not as important in a lot of churches, but it's really important to More us. More us, yeah. And so uh, you have to consider that if you abide by a confession, whether it be Westminster or 
you know, London Baptist, whatever it is, um, there's uh, six day creation is important in yeah. those confessions. And if you get your doctrine from those confessions, then that means part of your doctrine is literal six day creation. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of connection. Do you think it's possible that he knows uh, Genesis one so well because he's been writing? His commentary on Revelation since then? <laughs> since the beginning of time. <laughs> Very good. All right, guys, so quick break here. I know we had this massive segment here. It was probably like 40-minute segment, but well worth it. We didn't want to interrupt any of it. So we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come right back. We're going to have some fun, and I'm going to play for you guys. Again, what I promised you, I'm going to play for you something that I... It made me cry a bunch. So be right back, guys. ApologiaRadio.com. What's up, y'all? This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio at ApologiaRadio.com. Want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. I want you to run over to Whitfield.edu, Whitfield.edu, W-H-I-T-E-F-I-E-L-D.edu. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary for the graduate degree and above and beyond. I I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes, the consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend, Dr. Kenneth Talbot, and start your classes today. ApologiaRadio.com. Hey, this is Logan from the Reformed Gamers, the podcast that's all about video games, theology, tacos, and anything else that we can really think of. Join us each week as we discuss the latest games that we've been playing and some of the theology that we see in those games as well, and discuss topics such as how much gaming is too much gaming, and more. You can find us on iTunes as well as any other podcast catcher that you have. GG. Gentry. Joy loves this subject. I do. Loves it. And why, if you if you think that? that if you think that uh, creation is not presuppositional, mm-hmm. listen to the last hour of our show because it totally is. It totally is. That's <laughs> exactly right. Totes. Everyone just thinks creationism is about like evidence. Mm-hmm. Which is also awesome. Yeah, which is very awesome. And very edifying for believers. Yeah. You sp- you spend a lot of time at creation.com. I do. Yeah. It's impossible yeah, to not spend a lot of time there. Yeah. Because everything is linked. Right. So you'll be reading an article and it's like there's a link in the article. Right. And you click on it and then you're like 25 articles in and you're like, I didn't even finish that first article. That's right. That's right. You know and- where we spend a lot of time? At Creation Museum. I know. I know you did. You didn't invite me. (laughs) Next time. Next time. (laughs) All right, guys. So I wanted to play something I thought would really bless you guys. Well, you know, if if you're a new listener to Apologia Radio, we like to have fun on Apologia Radio. So, yeah. 
If you're new, I'm going to have a discussion with you. I've had a couple times before. We, we've had this discussion before. Yeah, when you pull down an Apologia Radio episode, you're going to get some pretty intense theological discussion. And then you're going to get uh, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes of banter, witty banter. And maybe we'll play some <laughs> clips that are like popular right now. We'll play some... Uh, some comedian bits. We'll uh, play some edifying and encouraging stuff like we're about to do right now. And we'll uh, maybe even do some trivia and stuff like that. So we like to have fun. We want you guys to be able to pull down an Apologia Radio episode and then sort of just kind of disappear from the world for a little bit and just have fun with us and learn a bunch. And we want it to be a blessing to you. So that's what we do. So sometimes people have said like, oh man, I had to fast forward through all their conversations to listen to the theological. It's like, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. What are you doing? Yeah. We did that on purpose. Right. <laughs> that was completely on purpose. What are you fast forwarding for? Right. Uh, yeah. So that's Because uh, biblical knowledge should be accompanied by fellowship. That's for right. Sure. That's and if right. it's not, then... You're doing it wrong. You, met it, you should check yourself. <laughs> Before you wreck <laughs> yourself. <laughs> All right. So here we go. I'm going to go ahead and play it for you. Let me tell you the background. Uh, I might get some of this stuff wrong, but uh, here is the essential uh, parts and pieces of the background of the story. There is a Baptist pastor. He's a pastor for some number of years at a church, and he gets uh, a flu, the flu. And it's, you know, a common flu, and he has to preach three times on a Sunday, uh, and so he had planned actually to sing a song. I don't know why that was, but he planned to sing a song in his ma- as part of his message. You don't know what that's like. I would never. You would, will never catch me doing that. Um, that's like some old school preaching right there. Really, singing really the song is. in your message. Does he, got, does he got the other elders sitting up behind him too? Probably, man. I imagine that's how I picture it, dude. I think we should start that. Tradition. Yeah. So, so the, this pastor. Sing Sia. This pastor gives it a shot and with the flu to start preaching and to try to sing. So the first message he, he did, he starts to lose his voice and the singing was awful. He said, like, they had to decide, like, let's just cut the singing out because my voice isn't working. By the second message, his voice, his, his throat is, is hurting so bad that he can barely speak. And somehow by the third message, he didn't have a voice left. And uh, they sent him home. They prayed for him. And then two weeks go by and his voice <coughs> is still gone. He's talking like this. That's how he sounds. His voice is gone, but the flu is gone. So he goes to the doctor. Doctor checks out his, his, his throat and says, your throat is almost sealed shut. And so he puts him on some medication and then he comes back. It's still not gone. Doctors put him on a six-week vocal rest. Don't talk for six weeks. Comes back after that. He still can't speak. So he ends up seeing, from what I understand, dozens upon dozens upon dozens of specialists and doctors who are the best in their field and they cannot fix it. And what they told him eventually was, they said that you've basically, you have permanent damage in your vocal box and it's irreparable. We can't fix it. And what you're doing right now, and you're talking like this, is you're actually using false vocal cords that are basically fat above the, the, vo- the voice box that aren't supposed to be used in the way you're using it. And so what they said was, it's more likely, most likely, that you're going to lose your voice completely and permanently because those are eventually going to give out. And so he had to, after one year of trying to get better, he loved his church so much, he said, I can't have you guys going without a pastor. And so he officially resigned as a pastor after preaching for many years. And he gave up his role as as a minister because he did not have a voice and it's irreparable damage and uh, doctors can't fix it. And so his wife 
had to end up going back to her, pri- her previous job that before they had the kids where she was an x-ray technician, had to retrain in all the modern technology, had to restart to provide for the family because he didn't have a voice anymore. He had to give everything up. He's got no voice. Well, I don't know every detail leading up to this next point, but he went back to the same church, not to, to pastor it, but just to be at that church. And they asked him some Sunday to take over the message in the Sunday school. And from what I understand, he was like, when he is being asked to do this, this message, he's, he's told, he, he tells him like, you don't, you don't want me to do, I can't talk. Like they're, they're like, no, it's fine. We'll, we'll rig something up to your mouth so that they can hear you. And he's like, well, okay, whatever. And it just so happens that this Southern Baptist church, so this is not a woo woo word of faith church guys. Okay. I looked into it. This is like a Southern Baptist church. This Southern Baptist church has a Sunday school curriculum that they are running through that is basically dated, like on this date, you teach this thing. Well, guess what he has to teach on that's designated by their denomination that Sunday? Healing. Now, he's teaching, actually, and you're going to hear it, a pretty amazing message on healing. Jesus isn't guaranteeing to heal you just because he died for you. doesn't mean he's going to heal you. Now, I'm not even going to tell you the rest because I want you just to hear it for yourself. He's back in the pulpit. They rigged up this device so that you can hear his voice. You can hear it in his voice. He hasn't been, been able to teach for three years, essentially, because of his voice. And, well, there you go. And this is, by the way, a pastor introducing the audio clip here. You're going to hear him ahead of time. This pastor is, is doing what I just did, explaining the clip. He's, he's saying, you know, God forgives all our sins, but he doesn't always heal our diseases. And I want you to listen to this audio tape, Pastor Dwayne Miller. So when the psalmist writes, and he heals all of my diseases, let me say to you that I believe God still heals. That hasn't ended. That is not over. Now you have to be careful on how you do this. Because there are folks who carry things to an excess and it becomes a show. And God has never intended that that be what it is. God heals in his sovereign will. I don't know why God does things that he does, but I know that he does. And the only thing he requires of me is to allow him to be God and me to be me and let it be. To say that every single person will always be healed because Jesus died on the cross is a misinterpretation of scripture. Not true. Won't work. Isaiah 53 doesn't talk about physical healing. I'm sorry. That's just not the context. And to impress that there causes a misinterpretation of scripture. That's wrong. On the other hand, to say that, since we don't have anything after the book of Acts, that miracles ended at the book of Acts and they never happen again is equally as wrong. Because you have put God in a box both ways. And he doesn't want to be in the box. So, the psalmist says, I'm excited. Bless the Lord, O my soul. One of his benefits is he heals all of my diseases. And then in verse 4 he says, And he redeems my life from the pit. Now, I like that verse just a whole lot. I have had, and you have had in times past, pit experiences. We've both had, 
We've all had times when our life seemed to be in a pit, in a grave. And we didn't have an answer for the pit we find ourselves in. And I don't understand this right now. I'm good overwhelmed at the moment. I'm not quite sure what to say or do. <laughs> I'm uh, <laughs> sounds funny to say at a loss for words. <laughs> satisfies my desires with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is abounding in love. The Lord will not accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, that's mercy. Or repay us according to our iniquities, that's mercy. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Wow. Amazing. Oh, wow. The <laughs> fact that we have that on recording. Oh, my goodness. That was so entirely moving. So, um, the update, I suppose. Uh, I, I, this apparently happened a long time ago. Uh, maybe, I guess, in, in 1990 is when he lost oh, his wow. voice. And I guess, I guess it was 93 or so, or 94, that he got it back. And it was three years to the day. Three years to the day that um, that this that it came back. Wow! To the Sunday, wow. and uh, it's just so amazing. And so okay, so the part if you and you got it's on my Facebook page. If you want to, if you want to go to it, guys, on my Facebook page, I posted the video there. You guys can go to it and watch the whole thing. And just it's just so moving. Share it with people because it is. My son last night I played it for him and he was like, "Did you share the new page?" Like yeah. he's like, "Okay," because he and then he shared it because he was he was blown away by it. Um, <clears throat> So he, he got back into being a pastor. It was three years to the day on a Sunday that God gave it back to him in front of everybody and healed him right there miraculously in the middle of the sermon. But did you catch when, when 
God gave him back his voice. Yeah. It was when God says that he redeems my life from the pit. Yeah. And when he said pit, he redeems my life from the pit, that's when all of a sudden it came back. Mm. And, you, you know, I, my favorite thing about it is this, is that he wasn't there asking God for healing. Right. No. He wasn't there saying, let's have a healing service and someone touch me and heal me. God, bring it down. He is just in the middle of explaining biblically God's sovereign will in healing. And then in the midst of it, God sovereignly, through his will, just goes, right. <laughs> there you go. It's right there. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the honest to God, one of the most moving things I've ever heard in my life. I, and that's probably, the, that's probably honestly like the 15th time I've heard it because it's just so <laughs> beautiful. So, yeah, I just thought that would bless you guys. I mean, some of you guys may have heard that before. Apparently, um, Ray Comfort has, has talked about that or played that before. But it's new to me, and I want to share that with the world. So, praise God for that. So, that's it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Another segment here, guys. We're going to come right back. We're going to do some trivia. Is that what we're doing? We'll do some of that, yeah. Okay. Be right back, guys. ApologiaRadio.com. Don't forget to sign up for All Access. And you guys will get to watch the most recent interview that I had with Austin Peterson. Libertarian candidate for president, ex-libertarian pre- candidate for president. Also, our interview with Ray Comfort, the after show, every TV show, every after show, and of course, our Apology Academy. Get the stuff from the NSA lectures coming up. Also, Dr. White, myself, John Sampson, Dr. K. Scott, Oliphant, and more at Apologia Academy. Sign up for $7.95 donation every month. You participate with us in ministry. You make everything we're doing possible. And without you guys, we couldn't do what we do. So we're grateful for you. And all that rhymed. Gets it? Without you, we well couldn't played. do what we do. And yeah, okay. So for our baby boo. Yeah, <laughs> all right. So guys, be right back. Apologiaradio.com. Let people know. This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio. You can get us at ApologiaRadio.com. I'm also the pastor at Apologia Church in Tempe. You can get us at ApologiaChurch.com. want to invite you guys to join us for worship, the word, and fellowship on Sundays at 4 p.m. And that's Joy Tempe. Hey there. We are a family integrated church. So we invite you to bring your whole family to worship with us. This is Luke Pearson, the ministry bear, also discipleship pastor at Apologia Church. Like Jeff mentioned, we are now meeting at a new location and time, 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons at Arizona Community Church. That's 9325 South Rural Road and Tempe. We're meeting in the Community Center, and that is between Warner and Ray off of Rural. Again, you can reach us on them internets at apologiachurch.com. Delicious beards are encouraged but not required. (laughs) Glory! Hi, this is Warner with Apologia Radio. I want to ask for y'all good friends of ours to go on and click that button there and become my friends on the book face. Facebook backslash Apologia Radio. Become my friend on YouTube. That there twerker. The twerker, I want to to talk to you on the twerking. And send me out a twerk. What? 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 Twitter, Apologia Radio on Twitter. I also want to tell you we talk about apologetics and theology and we do a lot of swing dancing and we make a delicious chicken gravy. ApologiaRadio.com
welcome back. We're going to turn that frown upside down. <laughs> Poor Randy, I just told him I, uh, I just bought a bunch of boxes of tissues today to bring in here, and I forgot on my truck. He's over there wiping his nose and his eyes on his sleeve. And Hey, it was impactful. It, it was, was impactful. Seriously. Yeah, that's how I was last night. Before we get into this segment, can I talk about the elephant in the room? Whose nasty, sweaty shirt is that <laughs> sitting on the table? I've been wondering. Does anybody know? It's got sweat stains all over it. It's been sitting on the table this whole episode. None Austin. of us. Austin. All of us assumed it was somebody else. I was like, someone's nasty. I thought maybe it was Randy. I didn't know. Oh, come on now. I'm just joking. Uh... Also just I leaves Austin, it. Yeah, right? he just threw it on there and left. Yeah, let's, let's figure out. Let's figure out. What is it? Yeah, that's his like Domino's shirt. Oh, it's, no, it's, it's Under got, Armour. And it's got it's pit got stains on it. It's got all the salt, the yeah. salt sweat like stains all over it. Oh, this is nasty. Working <laughs> outside oh, in the man. heat. Look at it. It's, oh, it's all salty. Ugh. It might actually be Dustin's. Oh he man. Because he came here the other day and he'd been working Someone's on. Someone's been working hard. Oh, that's gross. Well, that's that's a good sign, at least, I suppose. Hey, so people sweat. <laughs> it's I'm, like I don't know why it bothers you guys all so much. Uh, somebody else's sweat. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Anyways, um, <laughs> so we're talking about Willy Wonka because Gene Wilder just passed away. Yeah. Yes. Which I think we were all sad about. Right. Um, so we're hilarious. Before, guys. Well, just yeah. because it because it brings back all your childhood memories. Right. I mean, I watched Willy Wonka until the tape broke. Yeah, right. It's one of my favorite movies. It's funny. I was telling Joy my my almost six year old watches it so much. We were watching it last night, and she was quoting it word for word. <laughs> um, uh, what's the other one? Hold on, real fast. Black and white. Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. Oh my goodness! Really, in any like Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder right movie. Now, I mean, he's just. He was a hilarious, hilarious man. Yeah. The producers. And the perfect amount <laughs> of crazy. The perfect amount of what? Of crazy. Yeah, that's right. Just perfect. He, uh, we, I did that play in high school, Young Dr. Frankenstein, and I watched that movie over right. and over and over. Absolutely amazing. So, yeah, he died. How old was he? 83? 83. Yeah. Died of complications from Alzheimer's? Yep. yep. Interesting. Interesting. So, before we get into the... Marcus brought up something really good we're going to talk about. Before we do that... I got a little Willy Wonka quiz. The joy is going to take. Okay. Oh, good. I would like to preface this by saying I took it the other night and got 18 out of 20. Okay. I don't know if I'll That's do that well. Good. I haven't seen the movie this is in the, quite the, a while. The, the medium test. I've probably seen the movie five trillion times, yeah. but not recently. That's a lot. Yeah. No, I mean, like, how many days are in a year? <laughs> there are probably years where I watched it every day. Every day. Okay. Every day. So you ready for this? I guess so. Some of these are not so hard, but some of them are kind of hard. Okay. So. Okay. First question. It'll come up. Oh, okay. Just tell me to turn the music up. I had restarted it. Sorry. First question. Who sewed the end pieces with the little tassels on the scarf Charlie got for his birthday? Grandpa George. Grandma jo or Grandpa Joe. Grandma Josephine. Or Grandma Georgina? Grandma Josephine. That's actually the correct answer. I, yeah. Yay! Look a lot you. of this is just going to be good. pure muscle memory. Yeah. Muscle what, memory. Whatever sounds like, oh no, that was a character, I know that. Yeah. Now this one's easy, we already gave the answer who played Willy Wonka. I'm not even going to... Yeah, there you go, good job. Okay, what was the first word we hear Augustus say in the movie? Food. 
hungry, yes, or high. What was the third one? Yes. Yes? No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> hungry? It's hungry, yep. Okay, next question. Where did Charlie get the money he used to buy the candy bar from his golden ticket? Grandpa Joe, recycled cans, paper delivery wages, or the gutter? The gutter. That's correct. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very nice. Good job. Okay, this is another easy one. Who stole the fizzy lifting drinks? Uh, Charlie and the grandpa. Yeah, Grandpa Joe. Okay. Okay, what was the one candy that every kid, this is another easy one, wanted to smuggle out a piece of due to Slugworth's lucrative financial offer? I know this one. Read me the answers. Wonka Bar, Slugworth, Sizzler, Strom Diddly Umptious, or Everlasting. Or Everlasting Gobstopper. No, not a Wonka Bar. It's the, uh, (laughs) it's the, uh, wait, wait. Read, read him again. I was listening. Wonka Bar, Slugworth, Sizzler. Scrum diddly umptious or everlasting gobstopper. Everlasting gobstopper. The good thing I continue to finish reading that for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> now this is one, I'm gonna tell you, this is the one of the ones I missed. What, what class was Charlie in when he first heard about Wonka's contest? Physical education, math, science, or English? English? Uh no, it's actually science. Oh, okay. I missed that one too. I, I thought it was math. Now this other, this next one's the other one I missed. What was the name of Wonka's boat? And I told you my my six-year-old knew this. Okay. Wonkatania, SS Wonka, Wonka, Tanic, or Wonka boat. Read the first two. Wonkatania or SS Wonka. SS Wonka. No, it's that Wonkatania. Can't be right. That's it's Wonkatania. Easy. Wonkatania. Yeah. That's well, like something you just have like, to it was like. Clearly, Wonkatania. Like. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. What? What was it? What was? What class was he in again? He was in science. Yeah, Mr. White. <laughs> yes, science. <laughs> okay. What did Charlie bring home for the family meal when he got his wages? Lentil soup, bread, chocolate, or everlasting gobstoppers? Soup. No. Bread. It's bread. I I kind of had a feeling it was bread. Okay. What did Violet's father do for a living? Car salesman, he was retired. Nut Car fact. salesman. Okay, yeah. <laughs> what was the main course of the gum Violet chewed? Which got her into trouble? Turkey stew, roasted ham, chicken and dumplings, or roast beef? Roast beef. You are correct. <laughs> what color was the dress Veruca wore to Wonka's factory? Red, purple, blue, or violet? Red, purple, blue, or violet? Blue? No. You're turning! No, that's violet. But that's violet. Oh, I thought it was... Oh, okay. No, it, was it, was it was red. Okay. It was red. I was trying to remember. I felt like it was a light color, but I guess not. No, it's okay. How many years had it been since Grandpa Joe had walked before he found out about Charlie winning the golden ticket? 25, 19, 17, or 20? Make a wish. 17. No. That was just a beer. 20. I don't remember that. Which, can we talk about how awkward? Oh, wow. (laughs) Can we talk about how awkward that would have been for four people to share a bed like that? Yeah, I know, right? In the middle of the kitchen. He must have been living in Kauai. (laughs) Seriously. No, there's no doubt about that. 
Okay, next question. What was the true purpose of Wonka's contest? You should get this one. To pick on children. <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate Oompa Loompa Day. To give away a lifetime supply of chocolate or to find a successor. To find a successor. Good job. Boo, you oh. suck! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jeez, the wrong one. Luckily, I can take it. <laughs> what kind of goose did Veraka want? Veraka. Veraka. Veruka. Veraka is that like a character? The Willy Wonka Mortal Kombat. Veraka. Yeah. Yeah. Street Fighter. Yeah, that'd be an awesome Street Fighter character. Willy Wonka. <laughs> it would be. Uh, that would be. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be way awesome. Okay. Chocolate goose, a goose that spoke four languages, a purple goose, or one that laid the golden eggs. The one that laid the there golden eggs. There you go, you got it. Okay, this one's kind of a hard one. You might, you should be able to get this. What did Charlie's mom do for a living? You. Whoa. I don't know what that was. Excuse you. Clothes washer. Clothes <laughs> <laughs> washer, short order cook, housekeeper, or nanny. You she, she washed clothes. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, what was Mike TV's favorite type of show? Your mom. <laughs> <laughs> Westerns, rescue shows, police dramas, or talk shows? Western. Thank you. Your mom. <laughs> Who was the first person to walk through the gates? At Wonka's factory. Your mom. <laughs> <laughs> get old. Get old. Yeah, seriously, that's the best part of your mom joke. They don't get old. They don't. When no. they're done well, they don't get old. <laughs> I'm gonna guess it was Veruca. Uh, or Violet. Shoot. I think Violet it was Veruca. We'll come back. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure it was Veruca. Uh, what did Mike's mother do with him after he shrunk? It's one of my favorite things. She threw him in the trash, took him to the doctor, flushed him down the toilet, or put him in her purse. Wait, who? Put him in her purse. Who? Mike TV's mom when he got shrunk down. He was like, your mom. <laughs> yeah, Mike's mom, yeah. Okay, last question. Who pushed the button in the Wonka Vader? Slugworth, Grandpa Joe, Charlie, or Willy Wonka? Oh, I think it was Willy Wonka. I don't know. Did he let him push the button? I'm trying to remember. You suck. <laughs> Is your answer Willy Wonka? I don't know. Um, I'll go with Charlie. Okay, that's the right answer. Okay. They oh. push a lot of buttons in that elevator. <laughs> <laughs> what did I get? 14 out of 20. Okay. Not too bad. Considering I probably, I probably haven't seen it since I was like oh, that's good. less than 10 years yeah. old. Yeah, that was good. Good answer. That's probably better than Austin and I last week on that Bible quiz together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyways, well, well done, Joy. <laughs> yeah. So, Marcus, <laughs> Marcus, since you kind of brought this to our attention, please tell us your theory. Oh, your mom. <laughs> well, when me and Austin heard that Gene Wilder died. We started jamming out to some uh, uh, pure imagination, the song. And while I was listening to it, I was like, wow, so really, there's some really good, like, there's a good story here about, like, uh, the Garden of Eden and the covenant of works that God made with Adam and Eve. <coughs> and it's a good parallel. I thought the entire movie, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, is like a really good parallel of 
the Garden of Works if Adam and Eve would have passed the test. They would have received everything uh, at, at some point. And uh, so if you, if you just look at the story, you have uh, Charlie, who is given temptation by uh, Slugsworth, and he resists the temptation. And as... <laughs> it, as <laughs> Did you say that was totally a King Ginger moment? Did you say Slugsworth? Words Marcus says Slugsworth. Slug, definitely not a not an S in the middle. Slugsworth. Slugsworth. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Say it again. Slugsworth. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Ever, everlasting flop stoppers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Go on. Right. Right. Okay. So, so anyway, as, as I was saying, as I was saying, Charlie resists temptation, and as a result of resisting temptation, he's given, uh, you know, heir. He's heir, made heir to the kingdom. And so that that's the premise I have. Oh, interesting. But if, but if you listen to like pure imagination, yeah, like you could you could imagine Adam and Eve like he's listening, Adam and Eve listening to that song as they walk through the Garden of Eden, because it's just how it yeah. talks about like. Uh, I got the lyrics pulled up. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so he says, if you want to view, uh, view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it. Um, want to change the world there's nothing to it dominion and stewardship yep and then uh, he says living huh. there you'll be free if you truly wish to be boom wow right I, so, when you guys were talking about that in the thread I was like I don't know how yeah interesting yeah yeah okay. that's specifically when they're walking through the chocolate room and they're in the garden so to speak yeah they're in the and garden he's singing that to the kids like right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's really awesome. Hey, that's pretty compelling. Yeah. And then, like the ones that the ones their sin uh when when they sin, they're removed from the garden right away. Yeah. Like they're removed from the chocolate factory in like terrible ways too. Like it's Well, and it's usually it's due to like a specific sin. Like they all have each character has like Yes. Like it's a, a major sin, character a flaw. Sin. Yeah. It's not like oh they just like did the wrong thing or whatever. Like oh. it's due to a thing. Yeah. yeah. Did Willy Wonka state what the rules were right at the beginning, right? He did, yep. Yeah. Right. The law was written. It was written. On, on the wall. Yeah, and they had to sign it. And they signed it and made covenant agreement with Charlie and I mean Char- with with, uh, Willy. with Willy and uh and Willy being God. They were escorted into the garden Dang. and given the tour and then they sinned and they were removed. Dang. Yeah. Wow. So, okay, then, I yeah. see it. So yeah, that's that's I just thought that was amazing. Like I I, I never thought of that before. That's deep stuff. This week. And then you found actually an uh, article about it on Bible Gateway too, didn't you? Um, you was it Bible on, Gateway? Was it? Yeah, it was like a, a blog on Bible Gateway that was okay, like, from yeah, like yeah. three years ago. Yeah. That said the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a couple a couple of different things I found that were saying the same thing, yeah. Yeah. It's really so. interesting. Wow. Isn't that, that cool? That's, that's compelling. That's just to say that uh, all stories are God's stories and, it, and, and that they copy from the Christian worldview. When you tell a story, you can't make something that God hasn't already thought of. Mm. Interesting. So. That is so cool, man. All right. Well, there you go, guys. Another episode wrapped up. Hope it was a blessing to you guys. Hope you were encouraged as we were. Hope uh, the talk with Dr. Kenneth Gentry uh, will prove fruitful for you in your walk with the Lord. And um, uh, yeah, so uh, what's coming up on the horizon? We have a couple things. Pastor Luke and I are leaving uh, by the airing of this episode. I think we're leaving this week, right? When this episode mm, airs? No, 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 no two week weeks. The week that, after yeah. this week. 
Uh, we're going to be in Iowa for the, I think it's Ready Conference in Iowa. And it is going to be a real blessing being with the uh, the church, the people of God in Iowa. Let me see if I can pull up the information here for you guys. Harvest, Harvest Des Moines, I know that. So it's Harvest Apologetics Training Center Ready Conference. Who can come? Anyone. When? Friday September 16th at 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Saturday, September 17th, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Where? At Harvest. Harvest uh, Bible Church. And uh, here's the what. Ready yourself to defend God and the Bible through this conference. This dynamic conference will special have with special guest speaker Jeff Durbin will con- contest and triumph popular misconceptions of Christianity and cults. You do have to register for it because there's limited seating and so if you'd like to uh, hook up with us both Luke and myself in Iowa come show up and I know there's a lot of people coming I think that it's filling up quickly seen a lot of talk about it so um, yeah I'd love to see you guys there spend two days with you guys in the word of God learning about apologetics and defending the faith so that's what's up coming up in September then October uh, is uh, Australia mate uh, Brisbane uh, Sydney and a few other places and then going to New Zealand don't know where yet I'll try to get information for you guys on those Dr. White and I are spending uh, I guess a considerable a considerable amount of time together teaching people found out that we're going to be there together so we decided to hook up and now we're doing a couple of things side by side on apologetics and uh, some other things and I just got word that there's a possibility nothing's set but a possibility that Dr. White and I might be looking into doing a debate together with some secularists. I talked to Dr. White about it. He's open to it. Got contact from somebody in Australia who's connected to the secular network out there. And so nothing solid. It may not happen, but just pray about it because that would be kind of cool. So uh, so that's what's up. That's what's coming up. Australia, New Zealand, October, November. And then don't forget, guys, missionalware.com. Missionalware supports the life and ministry of Apologia Church. You ought to buy a shirt from them. You should do that. He's got uh, one on, too, I think. He yeah. does. So we got uh, Luke has Kill Sin or It Will Be Killing You by John Owen. Missionalware.com. And also we've got Study Randy with Peace If Possible, Truth at All Costs. Quote from Martin Luther. All right, guys. That's the show for today. Thank you guys for your love and support. Don't forget to sign up for All Access, guys. When you do, you support this ministry. You partner with us in a meaningful way. Help us to produce all this content, and you get blessed with all the additional content that we have, including Apology Academy, which will really bless your life. So, thank you guys. Luke the Bear, thank you, sir. You got it. Enjoy the girl. See ya. Steady Randy. Glad to be here. Marcus Pittman, thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. All right, God bless you guys. Jeff the Ninja signing out. Catch you next week.